Appreciate that. Y'all are too kind. Hope y'all are doing all right this morning. If you're excited to be in church, would you make some noise? Hey, I'm excited too. Um, a little bit about me. I am a crier, and I cried all worship. I think I get it from my mom. Um, Haley and I, my name is Ricky, like James said. Haley and I, we lead our 8th through 12th grade students here called Real Life. Um, a lot of them are over here right now. How are y'all doing, Real Life? They're semi-excited to be here. Um, real life is an adventure. High school students are an adventure. Uh, but Haley and I, our leadership team, we're a part of. We absolutely love the students. We love real life. Um, also, speaking of adventure, Haley and I had our first baby about six months ago. Her name is Ellison, and I absolutely love her with all of my heart. As I got older, I heard stories of how about when you have a kid, you love them more than anything and how you're always going to be thinking about them. You always want to be with them. And honestly, I thought they were all lies. Like, I thought that y'all were over-exaggerating a little bit. And until we had our first child, I didn't recognize that all that was accurate. Man, I love her so much. I want to show y'all an adorable video of my beautiful wife and Ellison. Check this out. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle, here is my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout, tip me over and pour me out. <laughs> Y'all give them a round of applause. That's my family. I'm so glad and thankful that God chose me to love on them, to lead them for the rest of my life. There's two more people I want to brag on before we get started, and that's our campus pastors, James and Cody Bennett. Um, about four years ago, they asked us and a few others to come out to help out with real life, to see if we'd be interested in it. And to be honest, Haley and I and our friends, the Emersons, we were scared to death of high school students. For some reason, we were extremely scared. But man, it's the best thing that we've ever done. But we're so thankful that the Bennett's, they saw our potential before we saw our potential. If you don't mind, could you give them a round of applause? for leading us, for loving us. We love you guys. So a little bit more about me before we get started. I've worked retail for a little over 10 years now. For the most part, I have enjoyed the career. There's been some great things along the way. I've met some of my greatest friends. Um, there's been health insurance, vacation time, sick time. So that's great when you're raising a family. Uh, there's even been a discount wherever we've gone. So at Walmart, had a discount there at the Sports Authority. And now at Academy Sports, I have one of the best discounts around. Now, I say Academy Sports with a little bit of hesitation because I know as soon as I see some of you guys in the building, you're going to walk up to me and you're going to ask me on behalf of your wife if I can get her a discount on a flat bottom boat or some deer corn or some beef jerky. And I just can't do that. They tell us that our discount is for us and our legal spouse only. So I can't help you out with that. But there's something in retail that when it happens, it can be frustrating for all of us. And it's not that we have to be on our feet all day long in the shoes that we bought with our discount. And it's not that when your kids come in, they destroy everything and they make forts out of the clothing racks. You know what I'm talking about. It's not even when something is not in the right spot, like it's all the way across the store in the wrong department. Not even that is the most frustrating part. The most frustrating part is when something rings up for the wrong price. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? When something rings up for the wrong price, it's like, oh my, why me? Why, why me? Something rings up. That's the most frustrating part. And you're excited. You, 
got these shoes and you walk to the registers and they ring up for something more expensive than what you thought they were. I began to scan the items and it rings up for what was on the label, but more. Rings up for more than what was on the label. And that puts me in a tough spot. Like, what do I do as the associate? What do I do? You're upset. I have to protect the company's assets. What do I do? And believe it or not, there are people who do this for a living. They try to get over on companies. And so they might grab the wrong item on purpose or put the wrong tag on it, get to the register, and they think that they can cause a big enough scene that will give them the cheaper price of that item. Now, I know that's not you. That's not what I'm saying. I know for you, it's an honest mistake. And you've waited your whole life for this moment. You found these shoes. You've been looking on eBay and you've been looking on Amazon. You've even been checking out Pinterest to see what they match with. You got outfits already ready. I know how the ladies work in the house today. Y'all been ready for this moment your whole life. You get to the register and you think they're $20 and they're like $120. They're more than what was on the label. And I'm like, ma'am, I understand what the label said, but the value of the shoes is worth more than what was on the label. There's nothing more frustrating than when you have the wrong value of something. I think a lot of times in our life, we believe the label more than we believe the actual value. I know for me in my life, there's been times and there's been seasons where I valued myself less than what God has valued me. And I think if we were to be honest with each other, we've probably all done that at some point or another. We've been in a series called Overwhelmed, and today I want to talk about being overwhelmed by our labels. Last week, we mentioned some heroes of the faith and how by faith, they were able to do some great things. They were able to do a lot for God, but they had to overcome their labels first in order to do that. Um, We're going to be talking about a few of those today, but before I get started, I want to share a piece of scripture that I found last year in Year of the Bible that we were reading together as a church. I found this scripture And it speaks to the labels that I used to believe about myself and to the things that used to hold me back. So let's read this together. This is in Isaiah 49, verse 1 through 3. It says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for being here first service. I thank you that you're here now. Lord, you moved in a mighty way. I ask you to do it again from the left side of this room to the right side of this room. Would you stir in our spirits today? In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So if you look up the definition of a label online or in a dictionary, there are a lot of different definitions. But the one that I want to draw attention to today, it says this. A label is a classifying phrase or name applied to a person or thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. Especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. The labels, they can confuse our real value. And if we buy into them, they can ruin our potential. Labels are weaknesses in our life. And the thought that I want to land on today is that in our weakness, that's where God could be glorified the most. In your weakness, that is where God could be glorified the most. Maybe you're here today and you're sitting in your seat and you've earned some labels in your life. Or maybe they've been passed down from generation to generation and those labels have stuck with you for one reason or another. Maybe they're labels like, all you'll ever be is alone. All you'll ever be is divorced. 
You'll always be addicted to that thing, that substance, that computer, that person. You'll never amount to anything. You're never going to be good enough. You're always going to be ashamed of what you did in your past. You got to know that even if those labels have been said about you or if they're actually true, that is not who God says you are. Those things may be true in the natural, but those things are not true in the supernatural. God has a way of taking what we think we are or who we think we are. He could break those labels off of us in our lives, and he's going to tell you that is not who I've called you to be. That's not who I've called you to be. If you're taking notes today, there's three things that God will do to break the labels off of us in our lives. And the first one is God will give you a new name. Look to your favorite neighbor and say, new name. Some of y'all just felt disc because they turned the other way. You have to believe that God's power is always bigger than your past. His power is always bigger than the things in your past. Abram was this man in the Bible, and if we were to be real, he's an old man. He was getting close to 100 years old. Him and his wife were not able to have children. They were not able to have children. And what's kind of gross, okay, what's extremely gross is that God chose him and his wife to receive this promise that they would be the mothers and the father, the mother and the father of thousands of generations, all the way down to include us. Now here they are, they thought they were about to be put out to pasture, that their time was about over, but instead, God was saying, hey, go get started. Go get started. Can you imagine how excited Abraham was that night and how fast he ran back to his tent to get started? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. It happens in the right context. When God gave him this promise, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, and he changed his name to mark the advancement of his purpose. He changed his name to mark the advancement of his purpose. Um, there's a new name that I'm getting used to, and that's the name Daddy around the house. Just hearing that, I have to, or when I do hear that, I'm reminded that my purpose has shifted to something new, that I have a new outlook on life. I have a new purpose. Some of you today need to accept the new name forgiven and quit thinking you've burnt your bridge to God or that you've done so much that he's never going to forgive you. What about the name Overcomer? Maybe you're there today. You've had some rough situations in your past. You've gone through some heavy things, or maybe even right now, you feel like the whole world is coming down on you. Can I tell you that the enemy wants to show you what is already done, but God wants to show you what's about to come. God is more focused on your future than what you've done in your past. Can I get an amen on that? He is more concerned with your future. I don't want to downplay hurt in bad situations or even bad choices, I just want to remind you that whatever you've done in your past, whatever you've been labeled with in your past, it does not have to control your future. I say that because Jesus has little interest in your label because he is way more concerned about your soul. He is not concerned with your past or your label. He is concerned with your soul. He wants to give you a new name. Number two is God will give you a new purpose. Look to your other neighbor that you forgot and say, new purpose. So being a new dad, I'm learning things every day. I'm learning how to be a parent, how to be a better husband. I'm also learning a few things about Ellison and her belongings. I'm learning that a few of her things have multiple purposes, like diapers. Now, if you're normal, I know that diapers are just diapers, but I'm not a normal guy. So I have given diapers a new use. Um... Have you, 
Have you ever been around me when I sneeze? If you have, you know that it sounds like it hurts, and it does. And you know that it sounds like it's coming from within my soul, and it is. And also, I know it's early, you might not have lunch yet, but it can get a little bit messy. Like, a little bit is probably an under-exaggeration. Like, it actually gets extremely messy. So Haley and I, we have this procedure. It's a very efficient protocol. When I'm driving, if I say the word napkin or, hey, I'm about to seize, Haley has between two to three seconds to get the napkin out of the glove box, hand it to me in the driver's seat before I destroy the car. Now... I tell you that Haley and I were getting a new car last summer to make room for the car seat and the baby. And we're driving this car on day three or four, man, and it smells like premium leather and it has, you know, all the nice stuff. And I'm excited to be driving this car and I ask for a napkin because I feel a sneeze coming on. Haley quickly, because she's a great wife, she knows what's about to happen. She opens the glove box and all there is is an owner's manual. I see that from this side of the car, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, what's about to happen? And so a little more information about my sneezing process. If I'm alone or if I'm around people, I will sneeze usually in between my two shirts, so between my outer shirt and my inner shirt. Don't judge me today in church, but I sneeze there to avoid making a mess. I think you would appreciate not getting my germs, right? So usually I sneeze in between my shirts, but because I'm wearing a tank top today, I could not sneeze into my chest hairs. And so at that point, the time is up. There's no need for napkins. I sneezed everywhere, all over her new steering wheel, the windshield, the window, these little things over here, the gadgets. There was just snot and spit everywhere, okay? So have that mental image. I'm about to change Ellison's diaper. Again, I'm a new dad. So I have to get to the living room where there's a lot of space. Like I need space. I'm a new dad. And so I'm in the living room where there's a lot of space and I'm a preparer as well. So on the left side, usually I have multiple diapers. I have the wipes already out of the package. I'm not trying to pull them out as I need them. They're already laid out. I might have ointment depending on the situation. And then occasionally on the right-hand side, I will have a large towel because I am a new dad. I know what's supposed to happen, but I don't know what can happen. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the possibilities are. And so in case there's like a nuclear emergency, I have large towel to cover the baby, clean the baby, clean myself. I don't know what I need it for just in case it's there. So I'm changing her diaper and I'm pulling the poop in the diaper in one in like one motion off of her booty and i realize i got to sneeze and i began to panic as most dads would that have my problem um i began to panic where am i going to sneeze and it was probably only three or four seconds before I realized I had to sneeze and I actually sneezed, but it felt like a 20 minute decision making process to the point where I began to use my lifelines. Now with a diaper in my hand, I cannot phone a friend, but I used the 50-50, okay? And I realized either I'm going to sneeze on the baby or I'm going to sneeze in the clean diaper. And I thought to myself, the baby is extremely soft. Like this baby is soft. Haley and I made her. It's a soft baby. But then I also realized that the diaper is soft and the diaper is absorbent. And so I sneeze in the diaper to avoid sneezing on the baby and to avoid or to contain the mess from my snot. And so I gave these diapers a new purpose. And now the next question is, and I understand where you're coming from. I understand your concern. I really appreciate it. But did I put the diaper on the baby? That's a fair question. 
Um, again, if you know me, if you've been around me for more than two or three weeks, you know that I'm extremely budget conscious. I am not a tightwad. Again, do not judge me in church. I'm not a tightwad. I'm budget conscious. And I'm going to leave that thought right there and let you assume what I did. One example of getting a new purpose in the Bible is Simon the disciple. This is in Luke chapter 5. You can start with verse 4. This is Jesus talking. He said, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Hello. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you were fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. They followed Jesus after they left everything. A couple of key points with this story is, number one, he was already in position. Peter was already in position to receive his new purpose. His first position was to be a fisherman. So if he would have been out of place that day, he would have missed the chance to encounter Jesus. He was in position. And number two, he was obedient. Now, he did not have perfect faith, but he had just enough faith because it says in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. What if you and I had that kind of faith, that because you say so, faith, God, whatever you ask me, whatever you ask of my family, whatever you tell us to do in our life, because you say so, we'll do it. What if we had that kind of faith? Peter's life was at a crossroad with his own mindset, his own plans, and him having a career that wasn't working out. I mean, him and his friends were fishermen, and they were out all night, and they did not catch anything, and that was their job. That was their job. But then he had an encounter with Jesus, and what seemed was turning into a mess, God was turning into a message because he was in position, and because he was obedient, he had an encounter with Jesus. He went from Simon to Peter, and his whole purpose changed. His whole purpose shifted. What I love is that in the Greek, his new name is Petros, which could be translated as pebble, or it could be translated as rock, depending on the situation. But because Jesus was not speaking to his position, but instead he was speaking to Peter's potential, he told this fisherman, I'm going to build the entire church on you. You are a rock. The church for all of time, for all ages, is going to be built on you. Maybe God's not trying to build the church on you today, but I guarantee you that God is trying to build the church through you. Everybody here, he is trying to build his church through you, through your story, through your testimony. Are you going to allow him to do that? You're like, nah, man, you don't know me. You don't know my background. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my labels. I'm sure if you were to ask Peter when he was a fisherman, he would say the same thing. He would say, no, I could never do that. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. And what's crazy is that none of us are. None of us are good enough. That's why they call it amazing grace, not earned grace, not deserved grace, amazing grace. That's for us, amazing grace. 
Peter didn't let the labels of unqualified or uneducated stop him from pursuing his purpose. There's a purpose that God wants to stir on the inside of every single person in this room. He wants to stir something on the inside of you. Are you going to be open in your heart to let him do that? My heart for you is that you would. God wants to break the labels off of us. He'll do that by giving us a new name and giving us a new purpose. And number three, as I begin to close today, is that God will give you a new future. He'll give you a new future. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know. Not I think, not that I wonder, not that I assume, I know. The plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And there's this lady in the Bible who had one of the worst labels possible. Like six out of the eight times she's mentioned in scripture, she's identified as Rahab the prostitute. Like that's her first name. That's what she's called by. And her label was true. She was a prostitute. And she thought that she would always be that way because that's what her label told her. That's what her label told her. Doing a little research on her name, Ra or R-A to start her name, that's the name of an Egyptian god. And in that belief, they had untrue idols, they had untrue beliefs. So her past, her surroundings, her culture, her name, her label, all said that she would never have any real purpose that she would never have anything to look forward to. Can you imagine how hurt she was? Can you imagine how she felt? The pain. She was a mess. We could probably agree and say that she was broken. Can I tell you today that God loves to use broken people? That's his favorite kind to use. Is broken people. In Joshua chapter 2, we mentioned this story quickly last week, but there were two men who were sent on an assignment from God to this land where Rahab lived. And they were sent there to scout out the land and to scout out the people. And Rahab took these two men into her house. What were two men doing in her house? Well, men were always there, right? She was a prostitute. If she hid men there, nobody would ever think anything of it. She could do it in broad daylight and no one would question it. She was protecting these guys from getting killed from the enemy. And in this act of faith, God gave her a new future. Later in her story, she went from being a prostitute to being married. All because in one act of faith, she did not let her label poison her potential. She didn't let her label poison her potential. And that decision just didn't impact her, but it impacted all of us. Because out of her lineage, from a lady who thought she had no purpose, who thought she had no meaning, no hope, no future, who was broken, who thought she was a mess, six generations later, in spite of her greatest weakness came her greatest strength. God's most prized possession, the savior of the world to Joseph and Mary, Jesus. Jesus. The fact of the matter is God wasn't focused on her label as a whore. He was focused on giving her a legacy that was holy. He was concerned with her lineage. He was not concerned with her label. 
He was focused on giving her a legacy that was holy. That legacy contained Jesus. And like Rahab, maybe there's a few of you who've lost your innocence. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were molested or you gave away your purity or your purity was taken outside of God's plan and outside of his purpose for you. Rahab is a perfect testimony that if you will allow God, he can reconcile and he can restore anything that's happened in your past. He can restore anything. That's the type of God that we serve. In Romans 8, 28, here's that word again, we know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Looking at Abraham and Peter and Rahab, it's easy to see that God uses in what seems to be imperfect people in impossible ways. He uses imperfect people in impossible ways. Last week, we mentioned Moses. And as he began to receive his call from God, he was hesitant. He questioned God. He questioned his ability as he began to lead people. And I can relate to that. Because like Moses growing up, I had a speech problem. I could be around my friends and around my family, at school, in the classroom, on my sports teams. I wouldn't be able to tell my mind what to tell my mouth what to say. I would trip over words and I would stutter and not be able to even form a sentence in front of people who I knew. And it embarrassed me my entire life because I, I felt like I had no control over it. I was ashamed of it. It made me extremely insecure as a person. It changed who I thought I was. It changed what I thought my calling was. It changed the way I engaged people. It changed my personality. The way I live life was affected by that label. Because I was so insecure and so embarrassed all the time. I thought that I would always be that way, that I would never change. And I used to get so angry with God. God, how can you call me to lead people if I can't speak? How can I pastor people if I can't form a sentence? I thought that I would always be that way. And I used to tell God, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's not my calling. I can't do that. And the whole time, I was right. I was right. I can't. But because I grew up with the labels of insecure and ashamed and embarrassed, and I always thought that I would have speech problems, it's now that I know, that I know, that I know that there is a God, he loves me, and he is alive on the inside of me, and that's what allows me to lead people, not me. It was never about me. And what I thought was my greatest weakness, God has raised up one of my greatest strengths. And the enemy, he can't stand it. He hates it because he thought when I was a young boy, he thought he had me beat believing the lies and believing the labels that he was feeding me. And in junior high and high school and college, he thought if I would embarrass myself enough, if people would laugh at me enough, if I'd make fun of myself enough, that I would never pursue my purpose. I would never chase my calling. 
And there's still days I wake up and I question myself and I question God, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? And I'm reminded it was never about me, but it's about what God can do through me. It is not about me. And maybe I missed it. Maybe I wasn't listening, but looking back, I can see it. Like, I, I can see it clearly. The whole time God was telling me, those labels you believe about yourself, they're not true. That's not who you are. That's not who I've called you to be. You don't have to believe those things. I know your true value, Ricky. I sent my son to die for you. That's your value, not those labels. He's telling you the same thing. He's saying those labels you live with your entire life, that is not who he's called you to be. That's not who you're going to be. That's not who you're supposed to be. He has sent his son to die for you. That is your value, not your labels, not your past. He exchanged you for Jesus. That's how much he values you. He sent the savior of the world in your place. You have more value than Jesus, and that is not blasphemy. That is scripture. God esteems you higher than Jesus. Let that sink in. He esteems you higher than the Savior of the world. That is your true value. That is your label. Jesus traded the throne in heaven for the cross on the hill for every single soul in this room, not just me. Every soul in this room, he exchanged heaven for the cross. That's how much he loves you. In that same way, the grave temporarily held him back for victory. That label is probably the one thing God has planned as your breakthrough. That label is probably the one thing God has planned as your breakthrough. When God sees you, he does not see your cost. He sees your value. When God sees you, he does not see your label. He sees your soul. And that is what he's concerned with. That is what he wants. He'll take care of the past. He is concerned with your soul. He wants to give you a new name and he wants to give you a new purpose and a new future. Like Simon Peter, today you are in position. You are in God's house. You are in God's presence. The king is here. His presence has been here all day, all day. His presence is here. Would you be open? Would you be obedient to receive whatever he's stirring on the inside of you right now? Would you bow your heads with me? I know that life can get chaotic and maybe we think we can do it all on our own. And there's times we're so busy, we don't even realize what we've bought into. But with that said, odds are at some point you have believed a label about yourself in your life that was not true, that is not who God says you are. That is not God's plan for you. He has a purpose for every single person in this room. Everybody under the sound of my voice, he has a purpose for you. And if you're anything like me, it's right on the other side of your weakness. Would you open up your heart today? Would you allow him to have your weaknesses, to have your labels, to have those things that you struggle with? The great thing about today is that it's a personal choice that you can make, but because it's a personal choice, only you can make it. Only you can make that choice today in your heart. 
If that's you today and you want God to break the labels off of you in your life, you're tired of letting those things hold you down and poisoning your potential, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you out. But if that's you, would you raise your hand right now so I can see who I'm praying for? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I got you. I got you right here in the front row. I got you. 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 I got you back there on the left-hand side. I got you. You want God to break the labels off of you in your life. You're sick and tired of believing those things. Allow him to stir in your spirit. I got you in the back left, sir. Got you, bro. Right here in the middle, I see you. Got you, I got you. Lord, would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, sweep through this room. Is there anybody else? You're tired of believing those labels about your past. You don't want to live through them no more. I see you, bro. Left hand side. I see you. The king is here. The king is here. All eyes still closed. The most important thing about today is that none of this happens, this purpose and this future, none of this happens without Jesus. He's what makes all this work. There may be some of you before today, before today, you've never made him the Lord of your life, or maybe you have, but you feel like you're a million miles away. I wanna tell you that he is right here. His presence is here. He's been waiting for this moment your whole life. He's been waiting for you to receive him in your heart. If that is you and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm not going to call you out. Just shoot your hand up so I can see who I'm praying for. As soon as I see you, you can put it down. I got your man right here up front, right-hand side. I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, sir. Back left, I see you. Yes, sir. It's all about Jesus. It is always going to be about Jesus. If you just made a decision by either raising your hand or in your heart, maybe you couldn't raise your hand for one reason or another, but you did in your heart. Right there in your seat, you can say a prayer just like this. Lord, I thank you for pursuing me my entire life. I thank you for chasing after me. I thank you that grace always wins. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to do anything except receive it. I confess my sin to you. I know I've chosen things that were not as good as you, Lord. I've chosen things that were against you. But right now, I turn away from those things. I run to you, Jesus. I choose you today. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again. I know that you defeated death with that. And I claim that victory over my own life today. Help me to live for you every day, God, through your word through your church, through your spirit, through a life group of people who have the same interests that I do. In my heart and with my mouth, Jesus, I choose you. I choose you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would stir something new in this place, that you would speak to dry bones, that they would be made alive again, Lord, that you would speak to purposes and callings that we thought were once dead. God, would you raise them up? Would you raise up people in this room? There are people in our lives who need us. They need the power of you through us. God, you have placed us in our families, around our friends and workplaces, around those people specifically for a reason. 
God, would you stir in us as we lay down our heads and as we wake up tomorrow, remind us we have a purpose. That's to show how good you are to other people, to love on people the way you loved us, to bring people to your name, to your kingdom. Jesus, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is inside of me. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody in this room said amen and amen and amen. Hey, get to your feet. Make some noise for what God is doing today.